Hey, let's pray. God, we come to you tonight believing that when your word is explained, your voice is heard. And I have been saying that a lot lately, and I, it's because it's true. It's that as we open the text and wrestle through it, you invite us to see you more clearly. And Father, as that video said, to have an honest encounter with you. And so as we work through Jonah's prayer in chapter two of this book, we pray that more importantly than my words or even Jonah's words, we would hear yours. So God, whatever it is that we walked in with, just if you could press it, help us press the pause button for a second. If we could hear from you afresh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you and a blessing to your people, to us. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks beforehand, my uh, middle school science teacher, his name was Mr. Ganster, had laid down the law in our class for passing notes. We were in middle school and had discovered this un believably convenient medium for communicating with our friends when we didn't want our teacher to know. And so over the weeks leading up to his pronouncement that these notes would no longer be allowed, they were flying back and forth across the classroom, little pieces of paper, and girls then would have these little notebooks that they would hand each other between classes so that during class they could write long little girly notes with hearts over the eyes and curly S's. Now, Mr. Ganster had put his foot down, and I have to admit, I thought that I was perhaps above such law. And so a friend and I were passing notes very secretly in class one day. When uh, I wasn't looking, however, she put a folded note on the corner of my desk just as I shifted my textbook which began the worst chain reaction of my life at that point because there it went as if in slow motion careening over the corner of my desk. And when it hit the ground, it wasn't a light tap. It was like a gong sounded throughout the whole class and my teacher's supersonic hearing right to the note and to me. And before I knew it, I was walking home with my first ever detention which there's a lot of worse reasons to get detentions, but that was just my first one. In fact, it was my only one. My mom's discipline was swift, fierce, and effective, just like the U.S. Armed Forces. (laughs) As much as we hate to be disciplined as kids, as much as we hate being grounded, being put into our rooms, having our phones, or in my case, my Game Boy and Nintendo 64 taken away from us, we quickly, or at least hopefully, come to realize as adults that discipline was a necessary thing in our lives, a necessary action our parents took to help us grow and mature. Because we've all been around that kid at Target who just frankly needs just a swat. You know what I'm saying? like my mama gave me. And so tonight we turn to Jonah 2, and we're in this series on the book of Jonah. It's called Just Say Yes. And we find Jonah, the main character of the book, grounded. Uh, Only in his case, he's 
underwatered, I guess, because he's in the belly of a whale. To just review for those of you who are just joining us, uh, or maybe for those of you who slept through last week, which is between you and Jesus, uh, Jonah is a prophet of God who was sent on a mission to a city called Nineveh in a country called Assyria to preach to them, to turn their hearts back to God. This is what prophets always did. Prophets served a function in the Old Testament to go to a people far from God, call them out on that so their hearts would be turned back to God. And so the Lord comes to Jonah and says, get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up and he goes not to Nineveh, but he gets on a boat and sails in the opposite direction for Tarshish, which is in modern day Spain. And while on his little love boat cruise, uh, something kind of goes awry when a massive storm overtakes the ship. And it's so bad that even seasoned lifelong sailors fear for their lives. The text says it was threatening to break the ship apart. And so there's some conversation, there's some drawing of lots, and they eventually figure out that the storms is there because of Jonah. And somebody on the ship is like, oh, heck no. And so uh, through a course of a conversation, they toss Jonah overboard. And the text says in chapter one of Jonah, verse 17, now the Lord had appointed a fish. And he swallowed Jonah, and Jonah remained in his belly for three days. I was talking with somebody about Jonah this week, and they they said, here's what I want to know. Why does God punish Jonah for not doing what God had said to do? Why is Jonah punished in the belly of a whale uh, for not doing what God asked of him? So I want to answer that question. To do so, we're actually going to be in Hebrews 12 for a few minutes, and then we'll jump back into Jonah 2. And and let me start here. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, the text says, But to all who believed him, him being Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Through faith, Jesus opens the, ways to, opens the way to the Father, and in doing so, we not only have friendship with the Father, we not only have relationship in the most generic of terms, we are made part of God's family. We become his adopted sons and daughters. And this is such good news because it means that we are cherished and loved and adored and are given a deep, deep sense of belonging. But hand in hand with that love and the acceptance and the grace that comes from being part of God's family comes what comes along with being part of any family, which is discipline. Our earthly parents, my mom, my dad, disciplined me so that I would grow to be a mature adult. I don't know if it worked, but here I am. Our Heavenly Father, even more so, disciplines us, his children, so that he can accomplish his number one priority in our lives, which is for us to grow in faith, to grow in Christ-likeness, to be spiritually mature. And so a key text on this is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Some of it's going to be on the screen. The rest of it I'll read to you with the sultry tones of my voice. Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11. 
And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? The Lord said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is teaching you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father, I have, and their terrors. Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Just stop on that phrase for a minute. I love that verse 10 kind of says, doing the best they knew how. If you're a parent in this room, I think it's easy to live in guilt of, if I had only blank, my kids would have turned out this way. And, and the Lord kind of offers some grace by saying, the best they knew how. Uh, which means as adult children, uh, sometimes we need to turn our hearts in grace toward our parents because they also did the best they knew how. But verse 10 continues, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God uses discipline in our lives when we deny the direction that he leads us in. He disciplines those he loves when he gives them a direction and they don't go the way that he said to go. Uh, if I could define discipline, I'd do it this way. It is his gracious, measured, and loving action which spanks, frankly, or stretches us to grow in spiritual maturity. It is his gracious, measured, loving action which spanks or stretches us to grow in spiritual maturity. So a few things about this. The first is that God's discipline is always gracious and loving and measured. Um, I don't have children of my own, but I have three younger brothers, two of whom are seven years younger than me and one of whom is eight years younger than me. And healthy or not, good or bad, I was a part of raising them, in fact, even part of disciplining them, and I remember this time, my brother Connor had this tendency when he was in trouble to laugh, like he would giggle, uh, which I'll tell you what, I mean, it makes you even ooh, so angry, and I would just go bonkers. And here's the deal, when we hear this idea that God disciplines us if, we're, if you know, we're children or we're parents, it may bring to mind moments when we disciplined out of anger, out of frustration, even out of contemptuousness. You always do this, you never listen to me, you're always making this mess, this, that, or the other. God's discipline in our lives never comes from this place of being off the handle. God's discipline in our lives never comes from this place of having totally lost his brain. Um, it always is reasonable and measured and loving. Again, verse six, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. Boom, ship them. God's discipline comes in two forms. It is spanking and it is stretching. Um, sometimes God's discipline is in response to our wrongdoing. And in those moments, 
He uses what I would call spanking discipline. Uh, that in response to uh, an act of our wrongdoing, a flaw in our character, a relational dysfunction, God puts us in a position where things are removed, where we are spanked. And so that might mean that God would remove a relationship that's harmful to your maturity. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiance. That God may remove a position of influence or authority in people's lives. That he may put you in a place of testing and even painful testing. Hebrews 12 is written to Christians who are under persecution. And the writer calls this God's discipline in their lives. I don't fully grasp the depths of that, but that's what's happening. Sometimes God will even hold, it's almost as if he's got you by the collar and he's not letting you go from something. He's making something harder. He's making something more challenging because he knows if he lets go, you're going to get yourself into a bad place. There's such a thing as spanking discipline, and the spanking discipline of the Lord is particularly what Jonah is experiencing in Jonah chapter 2. But there's another kind of discipline, which I would call God's stretching discipline. It is the discipline that our parents gave us when they stretched our capabilities and stretched our maturity and stretched our experiences by adding, not taking away. I remember when I was asked to start mowing the grass and how that taught me about push. We had a ginormous yard, which was in preparation for the house we live in now. Um, and I remember how much it taught me what it was to begin a job and to finish it, to do a job well and to have to keep, here's the hard part about jobs that need to be done repetitively, they're pretty much every adult task ever. Uh, wash the dishes, put away the dishes, make the dishes dirty, wash the dishes, put away the dishes, make the dishes dirty. Uh, get up, shower, brush your teeth, I mean. And so there's some things that our parents do in our lives to stretch our capacity. And sometimes God does that. And so that means sometimes he's going to add a relationship in our lives that causes us to dig deeper into humility and compassion and kindness and love because frankly, there are people in our lives that are very, 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 very hard to love. There are times when God will add influence and authority in your life to stretch you. Maybe he gives you a promotion at work or gives you a new job or uh, puts you in a circle of relationships where you are the leader. God stretches us that way. Sometimes God asks you for more of your time and more of your talents and more of your treasure, your money, frankly, so that he could expand the kingdom and he does that to stretch us. And, and this is what's super important. And I got this from John Piper, who's a guy I really like a lot. He's a pastor, was a pastor out in Minnesota, retired, is that God is always disciplining us. He is always, always parenting us. And in any given day, in any given moment, we are being stretched in any number of ways. Because I am constantly aware of the people with whom I need to be more patient and how I need to dig into that. I'm constantly aware of how having more responsibility now than I did a year ago requires more of my character and more of my focus. I am constantly aware of how the growing nature of our marriage and just continually growing and being a husband requires me to dig into virtues like compassion and understanding and listening. I'm constantly, God is always stretching me. And this is the thing we have to see, is that when Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh, he was being stretched. 
He was being stretched outside of his comfort zone. There's a racial element to this. Why would I go to the Assyrians? I don't like them as a people group. There's a theological problem for Jonah that, he would, that God would show mercy to these pagans. Jonah brings that up in Jonah 4. And so God, God is stretching Jonah. And Jonah says, no thank you. And so Jonah walks away. And so the next kind of discipline that God has to bring into Jonah's life is a spanking kind of discipline. And so when we ask the question, well, why does God punish or discipline? And I would actually prefer to use the word discipline than punish. Uh, Why does God discipline Jonah for going the wrong way? Well, it's not like it's a new thing. This is just a Uh, the next step in Jonah's journey of discipline. And so sometimes what happens is we get ourselves into a moment where we're being spanked and we're all like frustrated and whiny about it, but what we fail to see is that all of our life is God's, an act of God's discipline in our life. All of it is us being stretched. All of it is us being pulled out of our comfort zone constantly, endlessly. And so really the whole book of Jonah is about discipline. And so for that reason, again, Hebrews, um, 12, 7 through 10, just is so important. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. God's stretching and spanking discipline in your life is proof that God is a part of your life. It is a uh, proof, I don't know if a better word than that, is a sign that you really do have a deep and growing relationship with Jesus. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by their father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Jonah 2 is an exercise for Jonah in submitting to the father's discipline. Jonah 2 is about him submitting to what the father has for him. And so let's flip to Jonah 2 and just unpack this for a few minutes together. Discipline is often painful. And I think the challenge of discipline is it's, it calls us to grow up in our faith. Because I think a lot of us want a God who's like there in hard times and there when it hurts And there, when a loved one is sick, we want a God that kind of is fluffy and easily manageable. We're not always interested in a God that's going to say, I noticed this grain of sin at the bottom of your heart in this particular area, and I'm going to spank it out of you. (laughs) Time out. Sign me up for the other religion. Where's that? You know? Um, And so a lot of what I sense God doing through Jonah 2 in the life of our church is Here's, hear the word. God is saying, grow up. And he's looking for people to just say yes. And Jonah shows us a good way of doing that. So look at Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 8 is Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. And it goes like this, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, 
from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me, and seaweed wrapped itself around my head. Jonah, such a good writer. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, and I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. The most important word in the Bible ever is this, but... But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death, and as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10. It's so anticlimactic. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So if you get nothing, never, dis- never receive the Lord's discipline to a point where it's going to involve whale vomit. You know, like, if you ever find yourself in that moment, we have now gone too far. You know what I'm saying? Two things about Jonah's prayer. First, as a side note, at the risk of cramming like 5% too much content into this, Jonah's prayer is almost entirely derivative. Very little of what Jonah prays in Jonah chapter 2 is his own creation. Almost all of it comes from the Psalms. And so for the Old Testament, for people in the Old Testament, the Psalms were not only the only songs they really sang at the temple, it was their hymnal, it was also their go-to place to learn how to pray. If you want to learn how to pray, if you need the special sauce in your prayer, if you need the zest, you got to go to the Psalms and start reading and say, Lord, teach me to pray. Because almost all of Jonah's words in this are cherry-picked from other Psalms. It's derivative. It's not unique. I think that's so interesting. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think it's so interesting that when Jonah goes to pray, He grabs what he's been taught. That's important. The other important thing is that we need to know that because of the way that Jonah's prayer sounds, Jonah is thankful because he almost died. Jonah almost lost it. He's done. He he almost, I mean, I sank to the very bottom. I was dead. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your stormy waves. What does he say? That you snatched me from the jaws of death. And I think what's interesting is, um, you know, the text says in like 116 that the sailors tossed Jonah overboard and the seas stilled, which is true. But Hebrews and really hobbits have this in common. They're not seagoing people. Uh, the Hebrews left... Uh, ocean going to uh, the Phoenicians and the Tyrians and the Greeks. They, they didn't need to get on a boat. And so you throw a Jew in the water and they sink. Not now. I mean, but then. Sorry, I heard it as soon as I said it. And 
So Jonah is sinking, and because here's what you gotta realize, it says the sea calmed, but there's really no such thing as like a glassy sea on the Mediterranean. And so there's swells and there's still waves, it's just not a storm anymore, and Jonah gets in there and he's trying to swim, he's trying to make it to shore, and he's drowning. And yet, this whale comes and so becomes a vessel of God's grace to him. You know, again, let's not get ourselves into the position that the most gracious thing God can do is send a giant animal to swallow us. I think that's like, we know, again, we've gone too far if. And so Jonah responds in three ways. Let me just hit them briefly, and then we'll have communion and um, worship a little bit more together. Jonah responds with gratitude. Jonah responds with gratitude to the Lord's discipline. When God spanks him, Jonah's response is to say thank you which I never said when I got spanked. And on the one hand, he's thankful that God spared him. This is true, but at a deeper level, he is thankful that God is kind of putting him back on the right place. An unmistakable place is verses two, I mean, verses five and six. I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever, but you... Oh, Lord, snatch me from the jaws of death. I mean, even when he says, yet I will look again upon your holy temple, it's this gratitude that like, hey, you didn't just end my life when I was in a bad place. That you didn't just wash your hands of me when I was at my lowest. But you snatched me from the jaws of death. You snatched me from that pit I was in so that I could actually have a moment of turnaround. And so he's grateful I know what it is. I think we all do at moments, the longer you walk with Jesus, to be thankful that he doesn't just walk away when we're at our worst, but that he kind of sticks with us for us to get to our best. God is so good at telling us not who we are, but who we're becoming um, and speaking us that way. Jonah responds with gratitude and he responds with this realization. God's discipline in our lives is supposed to snap us awake. It's supposed to get us up out of our slumber. Because I think the scary thing, last week we talked about say yes to God's direction. And how sometimes we say no to God's direction in our lives, but sometimes our no's aren't this one, you know, it's not like a fork in the path and we said no and now it's like, sometimes it's like 27 little tiny decisions stacked on top of each other over a period of months or years. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a really bad place. And we're kind of numbed out. And, and frankly, we're so trapped in the circumstance that we don't even know how bad it is. One of the guys in a, our guy's Bible study this week said, um, when I'm most in control, it's really when I'm now in the place that I'm most out of control. Oof. And so God's discipline helps us realize things. And that's what happens to Jonah in verse four. Oh Lord, you've driven me from your presence. I mean, he starts to see what happened. He sees God, you've driven me from your presence. You, the verse says, you threw me into the sea, not some Gentile sailors who I just drew lots with, you did. And then Jonah really gets, it's like he comes back to himself. Do you know what I'm saying? He just wakes up one day and he's back to himself. And he says this, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. He realizes I've been worshiping a false god. I've been worshiping me. And I am not in a good place. 
And so I need to get back into a tune with you so I can get back in the tune with the mercies that he offers. He realizes, he wakes up. And then here's the most fascinating part. He recommits. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord. One of my fundamental principles about life is how do I know you know? You just did it. When I teach anything, how do I know you know? You just did it. I've not taught anybody how to do a push-up until they can do a push-up. I've not taught anybody how to pray until they can pray. I've not taught anybody about a book of the Bible until they can kind of tell me back what's happening in it. How do I know you know you just did it? And repentance and accepting God's discipline isn't really an acceptance until it involves a recommitment to get back on the right path. And Jonah says, I will fulfill all my vows. And no sooner does Jonah say, I've got, I've got it, I'll fulfill all my vows, than there he is on the beach, back on the road to Nineveh. And that's what we'll hit next week. Jonah commits to fulfill all his vows. I wonder about this piece that the text is pretty silent on. Because the text says in 117 that Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And it doesn't say, and then on night three, Jonah prayed. It doesn't say Jonah prayed on night one or morning two and just had to wait it out. Which leads me to a suspicion that Jonah didn't pray it until the end. And for me, I can even own that I probably wouldn't pray this prayer until I got hungry so that I would be spit up and then I could eat. Do you know, I'm just getting real with you. And, um, and so I wonder, I wonder this. Um, part of why God is, I think, giving us this series, Just Say Yes, is uh, because I think he wants us to grow up. Part of it is, I think, because God is going to spank you this year. I think God wants to spank you this year. I think, I know it's weird to say, but it's true, and I think God wants to stretch you. I think as a church, as regeneration, God wants to spank us a little bit. Because it's not about us. Regeneration leadership, here's the sentence that we say a lot. Wouldn't it be easier if? Well, who's it easier for? Is it easier for us, or does it make it easier for someone who doesn't know Jesus to walk across a bridge and connect with him? God wants to stretch us this year and take us places he doesn't, we've never been before. And what God is looking for is people who did this. They just say yes. That when God disciplines them, whether it's a spank or a stretch or a little bit of both, that continually we say yes to God. Who say, I will offer you sacrifice. Sacrifice with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. So let's pray, and then we'll have communion and sing together. God, um, we just pray that this year we would hear clearly the voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it, that you would uh, open to us uh, new ways of being with you, of faithfully being the church.
God, we pray for those moments when you're stretching us, that you would give us the courage to go with it, and that for those moments when you're spanking us, (laughs) that you would give us the courage to receive it with gratitude, that you'd give us the courage to receive it with wakefulness, and that in those moments, we would recommit to being who you are. God, we're about to sing Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And frankly, that's what your spanking and stretching action is for, is to get us um, to a place where our trust is outside the lines. And so God, when you take us outside the lines, when you stretch us or sank us to a place that we've not gone before, help us to say yes um, every time. As we come to this table, Father, we do so knowing that this bread and this cup symbolize, represent, and even share with us the one who has always said yes. Who said yes to me in his dying, in his resurrection, who said yes to us, his people, so that we would then be the agents of yes saying in other people's lives. And so God, help us to receive this meal even with gratitude. Help it to be an act of your discipline in us, shaping us into your image. Pour out your spirit on these simple gifts of bread and cup that they might become to us the body and blood of Christ. That in the eating of them and the drinking of them that we might become more faithfully your people united in ministry to all the world. Help us to shape us. Help us to be shaped. And the people who say yes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.